Thanks for joining me today for episode 10 of the Northwest Fish Passage podcast. Today, I'm here with Brian Footen, president and co-founder of EarthFuse and a fish biologist. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi there. It's good to, good to see you and hear you. <laughs> Thank you. So what motivated you to study fish biology in the first place back when you were in college? It goes back further than college. I grew up in Chicago and at one point my mom asked me, you know, you're, you're, you're 13, you might want to think about what you want to do in your life. And um, I was at the shed aquarium in chicago one day and i was like this woman was feeding the sharks and all the fish in the big center tank and swimming around and i said i i went up to her after she was done and i asked her how do i get that job that's the job i want <laughs> and she said i'm studying marine biology at duke university and i'm like okay that's it i know what i want to do so from that point on, I was driven to pursue a career in marine biology, and I came to the Northwest because there isn't an ocean in Chicago. There is the <laughs> lake, but it's not an ocean. Um, and I went to the University of Washington for a while and then to Evergreen and got my Bachelor of Science at Evergreen. And then a few years later, went to get my master's, um, and I got my master's environmental studies at Evergreen in combination with a master's at the University of Washington School of Fisheries. And I was off to the races. I'd already actually been working as a fish biologist, starting with an internship at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service when I was an undergrad. Spent, you know, several years working as a fish biologist before I started my master's. So did you start that after your work doing the snorkeling? Right. Yeah, with U.S. Fish and Wildlife, I was working out on the coast, mm -hmm. um, studying hatchery coho use of different uh, habitat insertions. Um, we were putting tine woody to rebundles in the Clearwater River and snorkeling them and looking for branded hatchery coho to see how they were using those installed habitats. And even after that, I went on to work at Point No Point Treaty Council, quantifying habitat, um, kind of truth testing the timber, fish, and wildlife habitat methods. Uh, they were being developed by David Shewitt-Hames, I believe, at Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission. And so we were working to see how those methods played out in real life. Then I moved away from the peninsula and came to Seattle. And even with my first few years at the Muckleshoot, I hadn't started my master's yet. So actually, you know, by the time I was in my master's, program I felt old <laughs> everyone was younger than me and I had a lot of experience so it was interesting to to navigate that scholastic environment with the knowledge that I had but it was important it, it's made a big difference going forward yeah I think it's always great when somebody gets a real life experience in between their uh, bachelor's and master's program so it's great that you were able to do that. Can you tell me more about the work you did with the Puget Sound Treaty Tribes? 
Sure. I um, did a lot of work around the Seattle area studying primarily the first several years of the work I did was studying predatory impacts on juvenile salmon in Lake Washington. I did that with um, Roger Tabor from U.S. Fish and Wildlife and others. And we really um, took a detailed look at the predators in Lake Washington, spending several years using many different methods for sampling the predators from electrofishing, beach sanding, gill netting, both in the littoral areas and the pelagic areas, sampling thousands of predators. We also bottom trolled the lake um, with a, you know, a trawler and uh, found some really interesting results that, you know, it's, it's possible that the predators in Lake Washington are eating all the salmon three times over, you know? Mm. <laughs> so there's, there's definitely, uh, back then when we were doing that in the, the early to mid nineties, it was some of the first time that people had really understood the, the level, the magnitude of the impact. After that, I worked in the research, researching salmon behavior, tagging Chinook and sockeye at the locks and tracking them around the Lake Washington basin. And also moved on from there doing salmon enumeration with the co-managers heading up spawner surveys. So did you do that until 2016? Right, right, yeah. Um, sometime around 2014, uh, I had just started getting the entrepreneurial bug. I had <laughs> been working at, my, at uh, the tribe for a long time and I felt the need to kind of I was, you know, underneath me, I was feeling the need to do something else, but I wasn't sure what it was. So EarthViews kind of came about in a couple different ways. The first was I was doing some surveys on the Green River, and one of the places where we put the raft in is near a remote-controlled airport for little, for airplanes, right, um, for RC airplanes. And... Um, this is back in 2013, 2014. So drones were just kind of, kind of coming around. And I thought to myself about all the helicopter flights that we did on the Green River to support the spawner surveys and how those might be replaced by a less expensive method using drones. I called up a friend of mine who was a former F-18 pilot and I said, Hey, I got this idea. Let's, you know, let's make a business out of this. We can, we can count we can count salmon reds with drones. And um, he's like, let's try it. So we pitched in together and got a drone and it was just awful. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was one of the better drones from the time period and it was still blown around by the wind very easily. Um, not, not to mention the fact that the, the, le the level of elevation that you need to be good at getting quality pictures from the drone we had anyway of the salmon reds was often right in the trees. So we were hitting trees. And even though I, when looking back at the data, I realized there was great value in this low elevation habitat. These pictures had great information about the habitat, not to mention the, taking pictures of the salmon, but it just wasn't practical. The battery life at that time was like 15 minutes. Um, the FAA was 
not making any ground, any movement towards licensing. So you couldn't use it as a business at that point. But then um, I was working with a colleague and we're having some questions about an area of the Cedar River and I was looking on my computer later that evening, um, trying to zoom in to that area on Google Earth. And I was too close to a road. And so it, it took me into street view next to the river on the road. <laughs> and it kind of made me think, wow, that would be cool. You know, it's street view for rivers. Like you can't drag the little person onto a river and drop it. It never, <laughs> it never <laughs> works, you know. But I kind of let that go for a little bit. And then I was in a meeting probably a week later, a couple weeks later. And we were trying to zoom in on a potential habitat restoration spot on the Green River. And someone's like, it's just downstream of such and such bridge. You know, let's, and so we went on street view on this bridge to, to turn around and look down river to see if we could see, you know, what the landscape was like along the shore of the river there. And at that point I'm like, okay, there's a need here, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, we definitely, some, someone needs to do this. So I, I called up a bunch of people who are smarter than me, some friends of mine, and we all kind of got together and talked about it and went to a friend of mine from high school who was a pretty successful entrepreneur. And he, he said, well, you know, that's what Google does. What do you think you're Google? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, I mean, is it, how possible, how hard could it be? And so he said, well, you know, show me you can do it and I might be able to get you some, some funding. So some friends of mine and I just started working on it. We got GoPro cam cameras and glued them to, you know, they're engineers. So, you know, we glued them to a dinner plate and figured out what the, what the focal distance needed to be between each of them. And man, you know, at that time they just developed the Bluetooth technology so they could talk to each other. So we synced them all up so they could go off at the same time on Bluetooth. And it was bailing wire and duct tape and everything else. <laughs> but uh, we were able to get some, some 360 shots that worked and then took it to Chicago to go down the Chicago River on a friend of mine's boat as he was uh, taking his boat. In Chicago, the lake freezes up, so everyone takes their boats out of the marina. And this was an opportunity for me to have some really compelling imagery that we could show investors. So we took it down the Chicago River and that was our very first trip. And we were able to put together a short two mile tour of uh, the Chicago River, like Street View. And that was, that was an incredibly exciting moment. That's awesome. And is it sometimes, do you refer to it as fish views? Is earth views and fish views the same thing? Yeah, about two years ago, we rebranded to earth views Originally, it was flying fish views because of the drones. And then we cut off the flying part because we weren't using drones. We were putting the cameras on rafts. Mm -hmm. um, so then it was fish views. And we partnered with Esri early on. And in the Esri startup program, uh, Jack Dangermon came up to us. He's the founder of Esri and was like, wow, fish views. I came over here fully expecting to see fish. 
but you guys <laughs> take pictures of rivers. That's an interesting name. You might want to consider changing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, as any, as a lot of people are, I was hesitant. Um, we had spent years as fish users, fish users at that point, and um, I always thought, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what your name is. What is Google anyway? You know, right? So <laughs> it's just a name. But over time, we've started leaning more on crowdsourcing information and mm -hmm. developing the technology so that it was easier and easier for others to use, which opened up areas beyond just rivers. So we do have some trails, not a whole lot, but we do have some trails on our, on our atlas of tours. Mm -hmm. um, and so we thought earth views would be better. It's, you know, that, that broadens our scope. So we can include critical aquatic and terrestrial environments. Well, I like both of the names. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I have a big it's... fish views poster on my wall that I'm looking at right now. So. Well, I kind of think it uh, as part of Earth Views is Fish Views. I mean, because you you could also be showing uh, from the, maybe a little camera on a fish. <laughs> yeah, boy, I, I saw an article about the orcas mapping parts of Puget Sound. I think mm -hmm. the Salish Sea, and I thought that was fascinating. I'd love to love to crowdsource from orcas. That would be cool. Yeah, you know, we we also. We don't always now, but early on, um, when let me back up a little bit here. Earth use, fish use, um, was developed as a tool for environmental science folks from a fish biologist perspective, right? It wasn't. I always wanted it to be something more than just street view for rivers. Mm -hmm. um, at the time we were doing this, Google went down the Colorado River with a rafting company, and I think there's one other company that does tourist type views of waterways similarly but in partnering with Esri we're able to do you know we're able to bring the GIS element into what we do so um, our base map that helps guide the area the transect that you've surveyed can be um, you can add feature layers to it you can add GIS information to it so that you're able to quickly navigate to those GIS points or layers um, on the river and see what the relative conditions are related to that information that you have from GIS. In addition, at, early on, we were always taking a water quality meter down the river with us. So we had real, we had, you know, baseline water quality information that's rel relatable to that imagery. And we were taking underwater photos. So we had, for every above water photo, we had an underwater photo relative to that position. So you could see substrate, and occasionally we did take pictures of fish. We've probably got, you know, 15 pictures of fish. Um, we took a picture of one of the first Chinook to make it up above the Elwha Dam after it was removed. Oh, wow. Which was cool. So I know now you've worked on a lot of, um, there's quite a few different projects. And can you tell me about what is one of your favorite projects? The Elwha was one of the most challenging. The Elwha was an incredible experience. So not long after we were um, able to get the technology to cooperate as best we could, it was fairly consistent. 
that we were able to get the cameras to take the pictures we wanted in, in succession. So the cameras take a picture every five seconds as we go down the river, right? And they all have to talk to each other. This is this was back then. They all had to talk to each other and be be consistent. And we we had pretty good success at that. So we said let's let's do um, let's do a waterway that's going to get us a lot of attention, um, and let's do a waterway that's important. Um, and, that, and at the time, the dam removal was just being completed on the Elwha. And so we went in 48 hours after the last bit of the dam had been removed and the Elwha was totally free with the idea of getting baseline conditions of the river. Well, that's amazing. Became first free flowing. Can you uh, remind me what day that was? August 31st is when we were on the river, 2014. So that was when you were first starting out. Right. Yes, this is this okay. first river. This is the first river we mapped in the Northwest. This is after the Chicago River. This is, you know, we spent more time developing the technology after the Chicago River. And then this was the first river we mapped in the Northwest. First thing we did. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was an adventure, to say the least. Uh, we went up above the first dam, the most upriver dam. I can't recall what, what that's called. And we we couldn't get the raft in there. They weren't allowing rafts in there at the time. So, so we walked in with the cameras and it, we just weren't set up to do that effectively and it didn't work. So we didn't get above the most upriver dam at the time. But we started um, just below there and we're able to get it done in a whole day there were a few port. There was several times that we met up with spanning logs, and had to portage through the woods to get around them. Had to break down the gear, and then when we got to the Elwha Dam itself, it was too narrow. That's I don't know if you've ever been there or looked down or seen any other yeah. tree through mm-hmm. that spot, but it's very narrow in the low summer low flow. There's a lot of boulders that are in that area, and there's good. It's like a ten foot drop at low flow. Um, and so we went up to the top of the dam and looked down and, and I wasn't, you know, at the time our gear was super expensive. It was probably around, you know, $10,000, well, $10,000 worth of gear. And I wasn't willing to take our only gear and everything we had through there only to lose <laughs> it and endanger ourselves. We pulled over at the dam and it's kind of like an 80% grade up the side of the dam. Mm-hmm. And we had to, dismantle everything, haul it up over the top of the dam and down the other side. And that was, that was quite brutal, but definitely worth it because we made it all the way to the, to the Strait of Juan of Fuca that day. And we're just super excited. It was, there's nothing like, you, you must know this from running long races, right? That, mm-hmm. that feeling you get at the end when, when you've made it through all the challenges. Right. Um, it was one of those exuberating moments. And at this time, we don't even know, right, if all the data was collected properly <laughs> and we were even going to be able to build a tour out of it. We're just keeping our fingers crossed. So how big was the raft that you were in? It's a 12-foot mm-hmm. air raft. So have you been back since then to do subsequent surveys? Every year. Every year I say I'm going back and I just get too busy to make it. I, I have to go this summer. I absolutely have to go. Okay, I'm going to follow up with you about that. 
okay. I really think, I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons we did it, right? Right. Was to be able to go back and, and compare, compare years. And now we're, what, seven years away? I can't even believe I'm saying that. <laughs> so are you and, thinking of uh, what, going in August again? Or a different yeah. time of year? Oh. No, no, we'll go during low flow. And, All right, uh, let me know, because I want to come out. Okay. All right. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit more about some of your biggest challenges as well as your biggest success? I think I've talked a little bit about some of the biggest challenges. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I went into entrepreneurship not knowing what entrepreneurship was, you know, and <laughs> um, the biggest challenges we had certainly initially were a the technology, building the technology. I'm blessed to have some friends who were, you know, became founders, co-founders of the business and were engineers from the University of Washington and computer programmers. Um, you know, if you don't have a team of folks that can do what you're trying to do, then you're not gonna get off to a very good start. Uh, funding, funding is another challenge that I don't think um, we considered deeply enough um you know we, we we were able to get funding and we ran with it and how how you utilize that funding um is important mm -hmm. and how much funding you get when you start off is important for example there's a company called mapillary that they process imagery flat imagery from users all around the world and map it you know they're huge now and we were in the startup program with them at esri and they had some substantial funding early on. And I think it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. That being said, I, I think we're, we're super strong and our perseverance has, has really given us that strength and the ability to not be daunted by some of the challenges that we face financially as a company and also um, in terms of reaching, reaching markets and marketing and um, getting the work done. You know, we're super small. There's just two of us right now. So um, we work all day, every day, mm -hmm. trying to get this done, this done. And by, by that perseverance, we've, you know, had a, lot, had a lot of good successes as well. So what are you most hopeful about in upcoming years? We recently had a partnership with National Geographic and that's incredibly exciting for us. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a project that they're doing with their explorers called in, uh, Okavango Wilderness Product Project. It's in Africa, Central Africa, Okavango Wilderness Project. And those folks have been doing transects of the Okavango River and its tributaries for several years, counting all the different species that they see as they make their way from the source of these watersheds to the Delta. They had the foresight while they were doing this to take 360 imagery every minute. So they had oh, wow. tons of 360, geolocated 360 imagery data, data with relative GIS database and didn't have a way of knowing how to, to visualize it. And so they went to Esri and said, hey, we have all this information we don't know what to do with. And Esri said, these are the guys we need to talk to and pointed them towards us. 
which was huge. And we're so excited about that and have since spent a year processing all that imagery and data. And it's, it's on our Atlas right now, but you know, it's not, we haven't really talked about it publicly very much because we're waiting for National Geographic to come out with an article about it. And hopefully yeah. they're going to, they're, they're doing that soon. Um, they're National Geographic's very excited about it. So it's that kind of success, that kind of partnership with, with folks that, that I would like to see more of um, for Earthviews because when we started this, we didn't start this with the ethos of, you know, let's, let's be a Google for waterways and make <laughs> tons of money. We started this with a mission and a vision that said, we want to connect people with waterways. I love these that. These waterways are important. And this is a compelling way to connect people with these waterways mm-hmm. who may not otherwise be able to access them or have them be a part of their life. And if we do that, then maybe A, they'll think more clearly about taking care of them and B, maybe they'll get out there and to enjoy them. I think in the future, upcoming years, I hope we can turn the dial um, towards bringing a broader understanding that rivers are the lifeblood of civilization. I mean, think of the Cedar River, the Green River here locally and, and what they've done for this, not just this region, but the world, right? I mean, if you think about Cedar River being the birthplace of Seattle and Seattle being the birthplace of Microsoft, mm-hmm. the Cedar River has, has single-handedly changed the world. Green River and Boeing are instrumental to one another. And without the Green River, there wouldn't be the Boeing that we have. And how would that change, you know, commercial flight, those kind of things? I don't think a lot, clearly, we as a society don't put enough value in these, these ecosystems and haven't oh. in the past. So I look forward to helping move the dial towards that broader understanding of their importance. That's great. As you may have gathered, that's something I'm also very passionate about. So what are, are you working right now with um, educators to make sure or to help this get out to more students and other people? Yeah, absolutely. We've just started that side of the coin of, of this business. And um, we're working with NASA, a program they have doing some, some UAVs. They're using UAVs to collect data and creating curriculums for students with these UAVs. Um, they're using kites and they're putting atmospheric instrumentation on kites. They're putting water quality information on remote controlled boats and going around lakes. And they came to us and wanted to include not only the camera, the visual view, because it's more compelling for the students that way, but also the ability to map it easily in our platform. So we're excited about the pilot work we're doing with them in that regard. Also, we um, have had some conversations with some professors at Smith University on the East Coast. It's an all women's college. They're developing a curriculum in their GIS department there, as well as the New York Academy of Sciences is looking to develop curriculums for high school students around New York City to take cameras in their phones and start going to critical 
places where there's green habitat in New York City and doing some mapping projects there. So I think the expansion of that kind of work is, is very likely. <laughs> and it really helps fill out the atlas, right? It gives mm -hmm. a lot, you know, a lot more. That's great. And speaking of filling out the atlas, so the reason these, the reason that is possible now, and it wasn't possible, you know, five years ago, four years ago, even three years ago, is because the technology has come a long way from us having to get a bunch of GoPros to talk to each other and hope it works to GoPro coming out with a 360 camera called the GoPro Max mm -hmm. um, that is foolproof, you know, and it's, it's, it's inexpensive and easy to use. Um, so we can just send out kits to folks and loan them um, or they can get their own camera and all they have to do is upload the information to us and, you know, a day later it's, it's on the map. So, you know, we're connecting with folks like paddle.com and the Georgia River Network and others who just have users who want to go out and collect information to help us fill out the map um, so that we can get those rivers on the map and help people help see them. You know, it's not even about necessarily getting revenue from that. It's just mm -hmm. about getting the data on the map. Yeah, so in my show notes, I'm going to include a link to Earth Views. If there's particular sites that you want me to include, feel free to send them. I was wondering if you have any advice to young professionals interested in fish biology or um, kind of, I don't know, going off and uh, having their own company such as uh, Earth Views. Yeah, sure. I, I think um, it's awesome for folks who want to get into the environmental science, um, into fish biology, into ecology, into that type of work. There's, there's a small army of us, and we're making a difference in the world, and we're doing it. I hate, it's somewhat, you know, my friend who's a serial entrepreneur from high school who's very successful. He's like, what did he say to me? You sacrificed making lots of money to be a fish biologist. <laughs> You're smart enough to have, you know, made tons of money in your career and you gave all that up for society. And there's something special about that. So. Um, there's something special about that. <laughs> it's definitely, a, you know, I, I feel strongly about that. So if somebody wants to, um, you know, expand their career, what sort of thing uh, do you think they should, what kind of people should they talk to? How should they reach out? Yeah, always, always look for folks who are doing the things that you want to do mm -hmm. successfully. Um, and don't ever be afraid to reach out to them no matter who they are, uh, more often than not, they're happy to, happy to hear from you. I, in my professional career as a fish biologist, I always reached out to colleagues early on, especially to try and understand how they were doing what they did and how I might get to where they got to. Um, but as an entrepreneur, it's critical. It, if you aren't reaching out to every resource of people who are successful 
at running their own businesses um, that you can get, that you can find, then you're doing yourself a disservice because they're going to be straight up with you. Mm-hmm. And they're going to tell you, uh, you know, they're going to tell you, okay, uh, that's, that's great that you want to solve all the problems in the world, but you need to break it down to this one simple solution that people need. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you want to share with the listeners before we go today? No, I just like to say thank you for this time. And I hope that uh, if you haven't heard about our views, that people are able to go see it and um, enjoy it. And hopefully, you know, folks maybe can come to us if they have areas that they find important to them and we can figure out how to get those areas mapped. That's great. Yeah. And I also uh, will mention that in episode two, when I interviewed Kit Crump, I I have a link to one of the Earthview sites in those um, podcast episode notes. Oh, awesome. I love Kit. He's amazing. Yeah, he is. Um, (laughs) He was really instrumental in helping us map the Stillaguamish River. Um, that was that was a big project. It was all three, you know, North Fork, South Fork, and the main sim. Quite an undertaking, and got a lot of support from him and others in the the council there. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome, and I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. Right Hopefully. when we're going down the Elwha, right? Exactly. Thanks. I'd like to end my podcast by expressing my deepest respect and gratitude to the many Indigenous peoples and tribal nations in the Salish Sea region for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, please write a review and tell a friend. Have a great day.